You're listening to This Is Spinal Crap, the podcast about living well with a spinal cord injury. Remember, if you heard it on This Is Spinal Crap, it's probably not medically correct, so always check with your spinal unit or an appropriate medical professional. This Is Spinal Crap is sponsored by Colourplast, providing effective solutions for bladder and bowel management. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of This Is Spinal Crap. This is the 10th episode of the series, so do you know what that means? What does it mean? It means that we're not far far from the end of our studio shows. Oh, no. Oh, oh, yes. So we've only got, after this, we've only got two more studio shows, and then we'll have to start thinking about our live shows. Wow. Yeah. Nerve-wracking slightly. Yeah, well, we're going to start getting into them very soon so keep an eye on our social media folks for any information that you need how can people find out well coming to a stadium near you (laughs) mark we haven't introed you yet (laughs) hang on hang on (laughs) so please don't forget to rate review subscribe to our podcast tell your friends and family as well as on socials instagram at this is spinal crap twitter and facebook at spinal crap show Email us at thisispinalcrap at gmail.com. Uh, the website is www.thisispinalcrap.com and sign up for our newsletter. We love hearing from you all, including Reese and Debbie at Backup. Um, so if you please just do contact us, uh, give us your really clever question or just uh, contact us to say hi. Okay, today we're going to be talking about charities. Um, our show is called The Holy Trinity because we have the three charities that we are always banging on about. So um, we have SIA, Backup and Aspire, who we think the world of. Um, and today in the studio, you have me, Ruth Early. I'm joined by Ian Mackey. Hello. Mark Henderson. Hello. We have Andy Adamson from oh. Backup. Hello. And we have Dave, you're gonna to have to tell me how to pronounce your surname. Brocker. Bro- I was gonna say it wrong there, yeah. so I should have checked that first. You're very welcome, Thank guys. You. Thank you both for coming and joining us today. The good things usually come in threes, um, as with the Holy Trinity and as with these charities, but unfortunately today, um, there was nobody available to come from Aspire. So we're just gonna to have to soldier on without them. And we can certainly talk about them and hope that we do them some justice. But I think the thing to remember is that with all of the charity, all of these three charities, is that if there's something you uh, need help with and you don't know where to find it, they will be able to direct you to each other. So don't worry if you're not 100% sure which one to contact, they'll all be able to help you. Um, isn't that a, is that how it works, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. So if we get an inquiry about for somebody, for example, who's got housing issues, we'll automatically refer them across to Aspire just because that's where the expertise is. Okay, brilliant. Great, great. And and so with SIA then, who you are representing, mm-hmm. what are the main services that you guys offer? Well, we've got a few. Um, I mean, we've been uh, we've been going since 1974. We were formed then by by Baroness Masham and the. The main vision of, of SIA is really a fulfilled life for everyone uh, affected by a spinal cord injury. So that's not just the individual, but also their, their family and, and so on. Because as we all know, spinal cord injury doesn't just happen to, to one person, it happens to a whole host of people. And so our services have been built around that. So we have a, a network of, um, of peer support officers and people who can give um, information and support and advice um, not just in, in spinal centres, but, but actually more and more away from spinal centres because um, less people are getting through the centres than, than we would like. So um, roughly two-thirds of people who um, get a spinal cord injury um, don't get that specialist support, and we want to try and do something about that. So the peer support network uh, is part of that. We have uh, an advice line, so people can call in and get telephone support and advice, and we'll often refer on from there as I mentioned with um, queries about housing because that can be quite complicated. That links into our advocacy service so if people have um, issues with um, things like social care or NHS continuing health care which again can be really complicated when you're coming to these things for the first time um, we can um, offer expert advice about that and um, we have a a network um, of about half a dozen nurse specialists 
So these are people who um, have years and years of experience of working with spinal cord injured people, um, often at spinal centres, and they've come away from that environment so that they can act um, regionally to train up um, more healthcare professionals to understand about spinal cord injury, um, because there's a big gap between those healthcare professionals who know about spinal cord injury and those who don't, and spinal cord injured people are often getting seen by those who don't. So training those people and giving them the information that they need so that they can take that into their professional environment is a, a really important part of what we do. And does that then help to bridge the gap between the people who don't make it into a specialist spinal unit and, and the amount of education they receive about their conditions? Absolutely, yeah, because the more pr healthcare professionals we can train to understand about spinal cord injury and everything that comes with it, you know, bowel, bladder, sexual function and so on, then the better support spinal cord injured people when they're first injured and they're in those environments are going to get. And we run training courses for healthcare professionals to sort of build on that as well. And it's just all about trying to upskill as many people as possible. So not just the individual who's had the spinal cord injury with peer support, but also healthcare professionals who uh, may see spinal cord injured people occasionally so they know what to do with them. That's brilliant. That's wild. That's yeah. yeah. That's amazing. How many sort of how many people now would you or revert to you? Shall I say that are in a, an acute hospital as opposed to a spinal unit? Are people signposted to you from the acute hospitals? From a general hospital. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, um, Some, right. but not always, and and that's part of our concern. Um, so NHS England has started collecting some really good data about this stuff now, um, and in 2018 to 19, which is the last year we've got numbers for there was over 2,400 referrals to spinal centres, but only 916 people were wow. actually admitted as, as inpatients. And even if you allow for the fact that some people might have been referred inappropriately because they might not have damaged their spinal cord, they might have damaged a column, or in some instances they were so badly injured they passed away you know, whilst waiting for transfer or, or so on, there's still a huge gap between those who get specialist support and those who don't. Um, I think probably most of us have been to a spinal centre for yeah. our own rehabilitation. So we know how important it is to get that specialist support and advice and information. I mean, the person who, one of the people who gave me the best support when I went to my spinal centre was the psychologist, helping me get my head around yeah. what had happened to me so that I could then sort of go forward from there. Um, and the other aspect that's really good about getting specialist input is that it can often come alongside peer support. Yeah. So, you know, again, from my own experience, that made a massive difference, being able to sit down to somebody who'd been injured for a few years, who understood some of the things that I was going through and could talk to me in a way that, that actually nobody else could. And that really helped me to start to get my head around the enormity of what had happened to me, but also helped me deal with it in a different way. So that instead of effectively banging my head against a wall, thinking about what the future would look like, I started to engage more with the, the, um, my rehabilitation and, and what was going the on. The process you were going through. And yeah. it, it, it transformed what, what was happening with me so we want to make sure that as many people as possible get that specialist input and if they're not going to get it at a spinal center and let's be honest you know there are only so many beds and only so many staff at those centers then we have to find ways of getting that support out from spinal centers and in major trauma centers district general hospitals whatever it is and I know that the NHS are looking at different models so that they can think about how to sort of make that work, but unsurprisingly, as with a lot of conditions, it's charities that tend to pick up the slack and that's why we developed our peer support service and that's why we've developed our nurse, our specialist nurse service, because that's where the gaps are. And, and so we're just trying, as we said, to, to bridge those gaps. When we started the show, Dave, um, usually what we do is when we introduce guests, we ask them about their their story and you know how long they've been injured. I, we didn't do that with you because I <laughs> stupidly just um, assumed that people would know that you had a spinal cord injury, which obviously <laughs> is not the case. Just because you work at a charity does not mean that you actually have the the um, spinal cord injury. So, would you like to tell us a little bit about 
Um, you and how long you've had your injury? Sure. Uh, yeah, I had. Um, I've had my injury since um, two thousand and eight, so that's about eleven years now. Um, I'd really like to tell you I did something sexy, like you know, I, I rehabbed with a guy who um, was training, was um, was developing a, a new speedboat for the special boat service. So he's a Royal Marine, and he was seconded to the special boat service, and he was practically James Bond. <laughs> and uh, I would have loved to tell you it was something as sexy as that, but I had a cold. Uh, and my cold wow. turned into man flu and the man flu got worse and it completely depressed my immune system. Uh, my body's defences turned on themselves. It's a condition called Guillain-Barre syndrome or GBS. Okay. It's stripped away the myelin sheath that uh, covers my nerve endings. And so in the space of about 12 hours, I went from being very unhappy with man flu to intensive care on a ventilator wow. fighting for my life. And that would have been sort of big enough as it was but um, I had a complication alongside that called um, acute disseminated encephalomyelitis or ADEM A-D-E-M and that gave me swelling in the back of my brain the top of my neck and around my middle uh, sort of tummy button level mm. and luckily the treatment for those two conditions is exactly the same you basically pump lots of very expensive drugs into somebody and wait and see what happened. And so I was in a coma for 12 days, and when I came out of my coma, I had uh, something called locked-in syndrome, where your brain works but nothing else does, mm -hmm. and I was communicating yes. by blinking for wow. a couple of weeks or so. And during this period, um, they discovered that I hadn't got brain damage and I hadn't got a very high-level spinal cord injury that would have meant I needed to be on a ventilator, but that, um, in my middle, around my tummy button, T10, um, I'd had my spinal cord had got compressed against the inside of my spinal column. So I've got a block there of a couple of inches um, where that swelling was. Um, and it's, it's easy to say it now, but it, it remains as true now as it was then. But I'm in incredibly lucky to be alive because to be honest with you I, I probably should have died and and you know 20 years ago I probably would have done I had fantastic care from the hospital that I was being uh, looked after in they kept me alive and um, so I came out of that without brain damage and without a high level spinal cord injury but just chugging around as a paraplegic in my wheelchair and um, and you know absolutely blessed to be able to do so to be perfectly honest um, and that was back in 2008. So uh, it might not be say, a sexy story, but that's a fantastic story, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> the thing is, it's one of those really stupid ones where everyone's had a cold. You know, there yeah, won't yeah. be a person listening to this who hasn't had a cold at some point. Mm. And, and it's, just, it's just ridiculous that something as mundane as a cold can lead to something as yeah. complicated as a spinal cord injury. But it was just one thing after another after another, just that whole sort of domino effect that led me to a point where I was coming to terms with a, a T10 level spinal cord injury. Do you ever tell the James Bond story and pretend it's yours? Uh, every now and again, I have pretended. <laughs> I have pretended to be an astronaut every now and again, just because. <laughs> Does that involve alcohol as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, thank you for coming in today and representing Backup. Um, we've had quite a few backup people in recently, so it's always always a pleasure to see you guys. Um, can you tell us your story? Yes, I was injured the uh, same year as Dave, actually, 2008. Um, so I was injured in a cycling accident, um, a lot more simple, so I guess a lot more of a, an open and shut case, uh, so quite different. So I was mountain biking out in France, which I used to go out and do every year. Used to love mountain biking, used to love the mountains. Um, and I basically just overcooked a, a drop off on, you know, getting towards the end of the day. I was getting tired and I just messed up a drop off, went over the handlebars of my bike um, and landed in some rocks um, and mashed up my uh, my vertebrae from, I think about T8 to, to T3 um, and uh, ended up with a T3 complete spinal cord injury. Wow. Uh, but I was, uh, I was lucky because um, I was helicoptered off the mountain within about 40 minutes of, of falling off my bike wow. and taken straight to Geneva Hospital yeah. um, and had amazing care there for about four weeks or so uh, mm -hmm. before being transported over to um, to 
Dr. Mandeville Hospital mm-hmm. um, on my insurance, which I always say was the the best tw- <laughs> the best twelve pounds I ever spent. Because <laughs> I think I think I did see the bill from the the hospital in Geneva, which came to about seventy thousand oh, pounds. Wow. Um, wow! But at the bottom of it was a big naught paid for by insurance. So, oh, yeah, sure. so it was best twelve pounds ever spent. But yeah. Yeah, in a way, as I say, quite an open and shut case. I came off my bike. Um, it was a complete injury, identifiable, identifiable quite early on yeah. um, when I was in hospital, and you know from quite an early stage, I think I understood roughly where I could be with that kind of injury. So I kind of understood that I could be pretty independent, that I'd that be using a chair full time, um, but that yeah, I would be using a chair. Okay, and so at what point did you start wor- working with backup? Uh, so I started working with backup about six years ago. Um, so um, I was always. In, oh, to some extent I was involved with backup before that um, so I started off as a volunteer skills trainer uh, and also a school, a school advocate for backup so uh, basically helping young children who'd have had an injury and um, get back into um, the routine of going back to school help schools make adjustment um, and um, basically improve things for, for young people getting back into education um, and also did the skills training so again um, doing a training weekend with backup um, to uh, become a skills trainer um, whose, whose job it was in my spare time to go out to spinal centres or to go on courses and teach uh, more newly injured people or people who wanted to build up their skills a bit more about how to get around in their chair and, and how to kind of manage out in the big wide world I suppose. Brilliant, brilliant. So you're one of the guys who, used to, who brings people out on, on escalators in busy yeah, tube stations and scares the life out of staff. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of that's definitely what people think. But I care, and you know, we can definitely do that stuff if people want to do that kind of thing, frighten the hell out of all their family members, etc. Um, but you know, wheelchair skills probably the most important skill that you can have is just being able to to push around a, a city centre smoothly without wearing yourself out or without coming out of your chair. And um, so I think people often think that yeah, wheelchair skills is is about doing the, all these cool skills, but. It's uh, you know, it's about getting about safely, doing the stuff you need to do, doing the boring stuff like the shopping or, you know, looking after the kids, whatever it might be. Okay, okay. Um, so can you give us a brief overview of backup and the services available from backup? Yeah. So, um, and as Dave says, we all work um, in conjunction together. Um, but backup, uh, basically making sure that uh, anyone with spinal con- injury can live up to their full potential. Uh, build up their confidence and be as independent as possible, whatever that might look like for that individual. Um, and we have a number of services to kind of help that happen. Uh, we have um, our outreach service, um, which uh, are delivering things like the wheelchair skills. And um, so we go around all of the 11 spine units in the UK and teach the, the people in the rehab centers basic, basic wheelchair skills. Um, and then we take those wheelchair skills out and about into the local town, whether it's Glasgow or Ozzestry or or Aylesbury, wherever it might be, we take those skills that they've learned in the sports centre and take them out into the town centres, going out for a coffee, doing some shopping, doing some little challenges around town and just building up that confidence, getting out and about. Mm. For a lot of the guys, that would be the, the first time they've maybe been outside of the spinal cord, the spinal injury centre, mm-hmm. um, and just being seen by the public for the first time is a big deal. Yeah. Um, so we're there to kind of help them build up that confidence, getting around, um, and we're there for, for anyone, not just when they're first injured in the centre. Uh, lots of people might come to us maybe 10, 15 years down the line as well. Um, so we have a range of courses. I know you guys have talked a bit about yeah. on this uh, on this show before. Going to pull some strings and get us on the next step scores, myself and Ian, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're on a waiting list. So. Yeah. yeah, so we try and, with the courses, we try and offer something for, for everyone, really. Um, so as you say, Ruth, we've got got the next steps course which is specifically for people that can walk after their injury um, and that's all about uh, again building confidence getting out and about it's a four-day residential course uh, where you go and stay I think the latest place is Bath but we've done it in Manchester and Newcastle and various different locations basically go there do some fun stuff so going out for dinner going out seeing some local attractions and going out and just just having a bit of a laugh but building up confidence all the same time so just practicing getting around within a safe environment. So on all of those courses, we'll have a, a care team who'll be there to support you um, and you know, volunteers who are there to, to help out as well. We'll obviously plan everything to make sure that it's fully accessible as well. 
um, so that everyone can get involved in all their activities. Okay, great. I know we mentioned at one point we discussed um, families and support that was available for family. That's something to back up help with as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So I think a big thing for us is families. So, you know, um, we see you know, families sometimes being hit harder than the individual with a spinal cord injury, mm. particularly in the early days, because where the spinal cord person spinal cord injured person will have um, you know a good good support network around them so they'll be in a hospital with nurses and physios etc hopefully anyway and <laughs> um, the families won't be so they'll be going back home every night worrying about you know what's going to happen to their loved one what's going to happen when they come home with all these questions all these worries and um, so backup have specific services for family members so we offer a mentoring service service for those family members so they can be matched up with somebody similar age, similar similar life experiences, you know, whether it's a husband or a, or a wife, a partner, a sibling, parent, or whatever it might be, we can we can make that match. So that those guys have somebody to, to ask questions to, somebody there to support them, um, and somebody to 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 listen to them and, and you know, really be there to support them as well. And then when it comes to families, there's also the the kind of people whose kids might have spinal cord injuries. You support like growing up with with spinal cord injuries. Yeah, you have something for that as well. Yeah, 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 definitely. I think you know we're there for the the whole journey. So yeah, we have our kids services, which are which are obviously the, the school's advocate service. So supporting those young people back into education, back into the school that they went to. Uh, so obviously we believe that there's no reason why why a young person shouldn't be able to go back to the school that they they were at. Um, so we work with, with the school and with the with the family to make sure that that happens. Uh, we also run um, a series of courses for those young people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we offer one for um, up to thirteen year up to thirteen year olds. Um, so that's usually an activity based course. Um, we're doing that uh, twice this year. So once in once in the April holidays and once in once in the summer. And that's an opportunity to to meet other young people who are injured, and the family members also come on that course as well. So the families all get to integrate, meet each other, um, and the young people get to meet other young people who are injured, which is I imagine a massive, 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 massive thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, we in so uh, we have three of the original. Uh, this is Spinal Crap team here in the studio today, and we've all interacted with the different charities in different ways. Mark, I know that you've recently um, talked to us a little bit about becoming a trustee at SIA. Yeah. Um, how have you been finding the experience and why SIA and what do you love about them? Tell us a little bit. Oh, it's, I think it's a really inspiring organisation. It was one of the first um, people that I had contact with in the SIA in the spinal cord injured community uh, where before I got to the spinal unit um, when I was in a general acute ward uh, I was directed to their website and found just about everything I wanted to know and more there and then got in touch with the um, peer support officers and I saw a lot of them in Stanmore Uh, And I think their campaigning and lobbying work is really inspiring and they've got a lot of plans at the moment to reach out more into the um, community and make sure that as many people as possible are reached and got involved. And I think that is really important because a lot of people, and I know this myself from keeping in contact with people I was in Stanmore with, and even though they've had the advantage of a spinal unit um they often go out of hospital into very difficult situations nursing homes or else stuck in their own homes but in a micro environment Mm -hmm. and they go from having actually quite a lot of peer contact and medical support to having absolutely nothing and a gp and counselor who don't understand and it's really important that these people know that they can contact SIA really easily by phone, by email. They should all join on on the website because it's free. Drop drop the deets. How do we we get in touch with SIA? Sorry? Dave might be able to shed some light. How do do people contact SIA? Uh, Well, the website is um, www.spinal.co.uk. 
um, and the advice line uh, telephone number is 0800 980 0501. Um, so those are the, the two the two easiest ways of getting in contact with us. And as Mark says, there's a, there's a lot of information on the website about, <coughs> excuse me, about the different sort of services that, uh, that we offer, a lot of information there about spinal cord injury itself and, yeah. and you know, how the, um, what the sort of the, the knock-on effects of the, the, the condition are. So Yeah, it is a great uh, we were, website. It is very good. We were talking in the last episode about yeah. the difficulties people found getting support from their GPs for uh, mental health issues. Yeah. And it's, so it's also important to know that uh, the nurse specialist service is available not only to help other health professionals, but to provide you with support if you're in a difficult situation out in the community. Your GP doesn't understand what you need or the district nurses don't understand what you need. Or obviously, if you get an admission for something that may be completely unrelated to your SCI, but um, the general hospital doesn't know how to care for the complications of your SCI. I think that's really important because um, all the evidence shows that if you, for whatever condition you've got, if you get specialist input and specialist advice, then you're more likely to not just understand what's happened to you, but be able to come to terms with it and deal with the consequences of it. And that's certainly true for spinal cord injury. You know, the research shows that if you give people that information and that support, then they'll manage their condition much better than those who don't get it. And those who don't get it are much more likely to go back into the NHS with another problem, you know, a pressure sore or something like that. They'll cost the NHS more money. Um, and ultimately, you know, they're not going to have that quality of life that we all know is, is more than possible. And it's because they haven't had that, that correct input at the front end. And so, you know, the services, part of the services that Backup and Aspire, uh, Backup and SIA offer is, is trying to address that, you know, telephone mentoring or peer mm. support. It's, it's all about giving people that support. Mm -hmm. But the slightly bigger picture that Mark's also touched on is that we try and take that with a campaigning angle and take it to policymakers and decision makers and people with influence so that we can try and change the, the broader landscape so that we can try and make that better for people so that there are less clinical commissioning groups, for example, who aren't giving people the right um, care packages, for example. So um, if, if, a, if, a, if a CCG, if a clinical commissioning group decides that somebody who was on 24-7 care now only is going to get, you know, four spot visits of two or three hours a day, that person is unlikely to be able to lead the life they want to lead. They're more likely to be at home. They may actually spend more time in bed than actually out and about because they're not getting the support they need to lead the life they want. Um, likewise with bowel care. You know, I know you've talked about bowel care on, on this podcast before. Um, if somebody is readmitted back into a general hospital, the evidence shows that more often than not, that hospital is not going to know what to do with that person when it comes to bowel care. Yeah. Mm. And we've come across situations where somebody's been readmitted into hospital and they've, you know, bowel care has just been refused. Uh, and, wow. yeah. and, and, you know, so what's that person supposed to do? Yeah. And, you know, you're then possibly relying on carers or family or whatever. And again, it, it's that difference between those people who've had specialist input at the front end they're more likely to be able to advocate for themselves and be able to explain what they need and why they need it or be able to ring SIA to get support. Whereas somebody who doesn't know about all that stuff or know about backup isn't going to be able to do that. And they're the people who are, are being failed by the system. And that's part of what our, our campaigning is about, to try and protect those, those situations, those, those people over the longer term. Brilliant. Yeah. I've been talking a lot to Brian O'Shea, who we had on a mm. previous uh, <coughs> episode of the show, who yeah. is works at SIA and is the, I think, probably the most knowledgeable person the word, nationwide. The word we had was Oracle. We were told he was an Oracle. Uh, on, yes. On continuing yes. health There are, there are many, yeah. many words for Brian. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's, let's stick with Oracle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, is a, which is a real scandal at the moment because there are people who have qualified for NHS continuing care who 
rely on 24-hour non-means-tested funded support. Yeah, I actually who are currently the only having yeah. it removed on a um, review for bad reasons, but for reasons which can only be challenged through a tortuous process which can take months or years mm. before it actually reaches a court. So SIA are doing really good work in trying to challenge that on a strategic basis. Yeah. I, I read the report on that and um, yeah, that was definitely something that um, that should be shouted from the rooftops. Um, Mark, can I carry on with your involvement with charities? Um, you're, you're just such a busy man, <laughs> but you still managed to find time to go on one of Backup City Skills courses. How is that? That was, well, I've been on two backup courses, oh, yeah. one led by Andy uh, in our London. Andy, Andy Adamson. Yes. <laughs> our Andy. I've just, oh, I've just, taken, I've just claimed you, Andy. <laughs> I, had the, I had the pleasure of being led through London Bridge Station by him in a sort of convoy of wheelchairs. Um, oh, you told us about brilliant. this. It was yes. crazy. And then and going into bars and the shard, similarly in a you convoy of wheelchairs. There was a bar involved. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> and the City Skills course in Edinburgh was, uh, it was a week long, almost a week long course. And I do feel that that really moved my wheelchair skills to a different level. The wheelchair skill, wheelchair felt a bit more part of, part of my body, which of course it effectively is. It's my legs by the end of the course. And even though I was concerned that I would go back to a situation where I didn't have time to sort of go out on long pushes and might lose it. I found that I didn't. It sort of flipped, like learning to ride a bike. It sort of flipped me onto a level which I then didn't lose. So I would you... definitely recommend that to anyone. To wheelchair skill shouldn't be two words you put together, really, is it? I'm not sure. Um, Mark, had you done the wheelchair skills courses um, at Stanmore when you were when you were in the unit? I had. Obviously, there was getting wheelchair skills constantly from the OTs, but I'd also done the um, backup courses. Mm -hmm. And it, it is uniquely useful to be... Mm taught by someone who is SCI and a, um, and a chair user themselves. Yeah. And he actually ran the course that I'd had at Stanmore as well as, which was fantastic. So Andy, you just know were... everybody. Yeah, like... For me at the time, actually, Andy was the face of backup. <laughs> Andy is the face of backup. That That's why it. he's yeah. here today. <laughs> Very good. So, um, and I've also, I should say, been mentored by a retired solicitor um, at 10 telephone mentoring sessions, which was also extremely useful through Backup. Ian, you are a huge fan of Backup's mentoring service. Absolutely, yeah, as is Chris. I know Chris's uh, family used it as well, but I used it, um, uh, hugely helped me through um, some issues I had. Um, and I was I didn't know about it. My mum sort of got involved. I didn't know anything about, as it were, the Holy Trinity, even though. Um, I mean, that, that was that was only. Us. I, I, that I, was I yeah, Chris. that was, that was <laughs> Chris who started it, obviously. <laughs> but um, it, I, I didn't. I don't really. I have never really done social media, so I didn't really look on websites and stuff. It wasn't until backup came and the wheelchair skills that I started looking into websites, um, and then got involved with the mentor through backup, which uh, I found hugely useful. Mm. Yeah, and we've got um, we've got a pool of basically about three hundred mentors. Um, out there kind of living all over the country all with different levels of injury yeah. different kind of life experiences and the idea behind the mentoring is you know as Mark said we could we could make a close match with level of injury you know if, you, yeah. if you've had the same career well, it's the whole thing of peer support over the phone isn't it when mm -hmm. you know like Luke was saying about peer support I found hugely uh, beneficial meeting these guys um, the way I did at Stoke Mandeville when we went to the games and then having backup um, with the mentoring as well um, I spoke to outreach guys from SIA as well as so it had a huge benefit for me Okay, how can people find out more about backup? Well, I think either call the office, um, numbers on the website. Our website is www.backuptrust.org.uk, um, or drop us in an email, or, or or find us at wheelchair skills session at the centre. Um, just get in touch with us. Um, and as Dave said, you know, if you if you contact us, if we can't help, then we can pass you on to SIA, Aspire. Or whichever organiser, which other, which other, whichever other <laughs> organisation <laughs> can, uh, can help you in your situation. So, 
Um, Just get in touch, basically. Brilliant, brilliant. So when it comes to fundraising then, um, how do you keep the organisations going? Dave, what do SIA, what are your main things during the year, your main sources of income? Uh, well, we don't get any uh, statutory funding or anything like that. So SIA runs through uh, either the um, donations from individuals or we apply to trusts for money or we have some corporate sponsors and corporate supporters as well. Um, and so it's a, a fairly constant cycle of um, you know, going out to those people and asking them for support and, and thinking about how we can best, best link up with them. Uh, and sometimes that's done through, you know, people doing events for themselves, so sponsored events, you know, running a marathon or doing a skydive or eating cake or my particular favourite, actually, uh, doing that sort <laughs> of thing. Drinking beer. Drinking drink beer. Drink beer. Drink beer. I, was, I was about to say, how can yeah. we get involved? Yeah. <laughs> Once you mentioned the cake, I'm sold. Beer and cake, that'll do it. Um, and, and then, you know, as I say, from a, from a corporate um, side of things, going out to... Uh, to sponsors and uh, and and uh, engaging with them, and so we have a number of fundraising events that we run through the year. Um, also, um, we have a sort of kind of black tie balls, for example, and things mm -hmm. like that. So, just trying to to constantly uh, keep um, spinal services at the front of people's minds and look for different ways that we can engage with people and uh, and that they can help us. Okay, great. Well, when you have um, when when you have some fundraisers coming up, we'd we'd love to get involved. Um, whether that be cake or whether it be something um, bit more challenging. Um, <laughs> but when I say that we're going to get a spinal crap team together, that is a total lie because this lot always feed me to the wolves. Uh, so um, you volunteer us. Yeah, I, I do. I volunteer them for everything, but they go yeah, 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 and then they never show up. So anymore, once. I showed up once. Lesson, lesson to be learned. I'm just going to volunteer myself for stuff from now on. And um, we had a great time at the backup ball, which is one mm. of your fundraisers, Andy. Well, not yours personally, but um, you wish. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, we've talked about that um, from last year's ball. Um, we know that Reese did a killer job on on organising that and his team. Um, yeah. So um, what else do you do to keep the money rolling in at backup? So I think try and keep things varied. So as you, as you say, like a big party of 400 wheelchairs in the room, that's that's massive for us. Mm. We also do sort of the black tie type do's as well. Um, we get a lot of corporate support um, and corporate support who come on our courses as well to kind of, you know, learn a bit more about accessibility and how people uh, with disabilities deal with the real world. So they pay to come on our courses and and help support that service and um, we also get the grants in as well from people like the big lottery and and those kind of guys local trusts as well again we do quite a few kind of um, accessible fundraisers as well so things like cycling events so uh, getting a group of able-bodied cyclists hand cyclists together go and do some sort of challenge off to Paris, or London to Paris, or mm. um, a ride. I saw the other day, were you doing a Snowdonia? Yeah, yeah, so we do. Are you gonna do it? I wanna do it, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, so we do, I've done it a few times, so Snowden push. Snowden so, push, yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, one chaser per team of about between 14 and, and 20 uh, team members, who, um, who whose basic job is to support the chaser up to the top of the mountain. We have usually about between 10 and 15 teams take part. We all camp in a big field, we have a massive uh, hog roast afterwards and a big party afterwards, um, and basically help, help raise some funds to keep, keep you know, delivering our services. That sounds like a lot of fun. It does, yeah. Although I did put that on the WhatsApp group, the spinal crap, well, and did you nobody answered. Do you notice how <laughs> silent I went? Yeah. Nobody I said a answer. word. I did answer. I said, "I'm sorry, I can't because it's July, and I'm oh, doing, you're doing something else, aren't you? Spinal Injuries yeah, Ireland yeah. fundraiser in July." So, well, while we're talking about charities, let me plug that one once again. <laughs> um, so I, yeah. So listeners will know um, that I have signed up, and I have actually signed up for it now. Deposit paid and everything to do the. The uh, Tall Ships Challenge with Spinal Injuries Ireland and we have a growing number of listeners in Ireland and I would not be doing my patriotic duty if I wasn't representing so um, July I'm sailing from Cadiz to London on a ship called Tenacious which is a fully accessible ship which I did I speak to you about it Dave before was it uh, no no oh, well, I know no. about I know uh, who I was I know about <laughs> ships, yeah. yeah and it's yeah so I'm really looking forward to that but they they have to raise 700,000 euros every year to keep their services going yeah. again similar similar to the kind of services that are offered here in the UK um, and so yeah we've got to got to keep my 
keep my homies. I don't know how I'm going to finish that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just going to move swiftly along. Um, okay, so we've got the the details of how to people can find you, where you are online. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you have been burning to tell the listeners about about your charities? Uh, I think the important thing is that if uh, if somebody's listening to this and they decide to come to one of the charities, as we've already said then you know we'd very much like them to also engage with the others and they can either do that themselves or we can help you know direct them to where they're going to get you know the best support now that might be face to face that might be telephone that might be a member of their family who wants to you know do some fundraising um, so however people want to engage with us you know we'd be delighted to uh, to welcome them on board just to keep that seafaring And remember that going. it's free to join SIE for yes. a spinal injured it's person. So there's really, yeah, there's yeah. really no downside to joining at all. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I guess the only thing I was going to add, as, as Dave says, is it's the charities working together, which is how we can reach more people and make yeah. make sure that people are getting the services that can help them the most. But um, you know, even if you know somebody who who wouldn't want to pick up the phone to us, and you can always uh, what we call proactively refer them to us as well. So. If you know someone who could do with some support, who's maybe in such a bad position that they wouldn't want to pick up the phone or you know, are reluctant to, to sort of reach out, if you have their permission for us to give them a call or, or any of the charities to give them a call, you can ring up the charity, say so-and-so's struggling a bit, could do with a call, and we can get in touch proactively. So, so you know. And I think know one of the other be. things with that is that you know we've talked a lot about um, the sort of services we offer where people are sort of newly injured or if they're, um, they're struggling as we've just been talking about, you know, if they're not sort of coping well or they need support or whatever. But there's always ways that people can get involved with the different charities. I mean, even just thinking about the campaigning side of things, SIA are always looking for people who are willing to write to their MP mm -hmm. uh, and engage with their MP and try and make an appointment with them and use that as a reason for for us to get in front of that MP as well. Because MPs, not being stupid people, will always look after their constituents before they'll worry about anything else. Great. And they all work in Westminster sort of Monday through Thursday, and then Friday is generally their constituency day. And so if somebody from a constituency writes to their MP, they're very likely to be able to make an appointment with them. And if we can piggyback on the back of that, it just gives us an opportunity to get in front of one more MP to have that conversation which then might open some other doors for us. I was talking to a chap last week who um, who wanted to sort of think about different ways he could help us and we talked about this and um, turns out his MP's Michael Gove. Okay. Now you may or may not like Michael Gove but the fact is he's a senior MP, he's very influential and if he <coughs> can't help us with something he can certainly put us in contact with the people who can. Yeah. So you know getting even just a letter to him and potentially an appointment with him you know, can uh, could make all the difference. So there's all sorts of different ways people can engage with the charities. Mm. Okay. And likewise, volunteering, I was going to say as well. Yeah. So Backup is basically a volunteer-led charity, so quite a small staff team of about 30 or so, but we've got about 400-odd volunteers out there who actually deliver a lot of the services for us. So if you want to get involved and, you know, you've got a bit of spare time, you want to help mentor someone who's struggling a bit or teach somebody wheelchair skills or group leader course, Get in touch. Great. Thank you very much. Okay, guys, you know how it's played. It's our role models game. I am going to ask you a question and I'll place you in a hypothetical situation and you have to tell me what you would do or what a role model would do. Is everybody familiar with this game? Everyone's looking very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah vague, vaguely, yeah. vaguely familiar and yeah. vaguely uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you're helping to run a fundraiser and there's a very enthusiastic volunteer who means well but is driving everybody crazy. He won't stop talking, he's giddy and excitable and he messes up anything that he's asked to help with. He really wants to do good but you've already had a lot of problems because of him. You've had to recycle loads of promotional material that he accidentally spilled coffee all over. A computer he was working on suddenly got a weird virus and damaged your files for the event. He gave the wrong details to a courier and now your team t-shirts may not arrive on time. A few days before the event, he comes to you and tells you that he's free to volunteer full time in the run up to the event and that he really wants to do something significant because he's hoping to use his experience to help with a job he's going to interview for. What would a role model do? And what would you do? 
Andy, do you want to kick off? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no conceivable distinction between Andy the person and Andy the role model. So <laughs> yeah. We only need one answer. Yeah. I don't know. I guess the the role model, uh, just to explore it a bit more. Like, what do you want to do? Um, you know, how can we get you involved in this event? And you know, hopefully find something that's mutually beneficial. That you know that. That this guy cannot mess up. You should be a politician. That was super. Did you, yeah. did you say that he's going for a job interview? Hmm? Did you say he's going for a job interview? No, he yeah, he's going to be going for a job interview, and he wants to use this experience to okay. talk about it in his job interview. So he really wants something meaty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he wants like he wants you to let him run the, the event. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the best will in the world, <laughs> he's certainly not going to be running the event. Um, but there must be something that, that he can do that's going to give him that experience. And uh, maybe if you can, I don't know, link that to some coaching for his job interview or something, then there's a way of sort of tactfully managing that situation without punching him in the face first or that's, something. I don't that's know. actually a really good idea. Isn't yeah. it? I know, tricky one, that. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever had that situation before, just out of interest, where yeah. someone so sort of overtly I think you get it a lot when you're sort of out and about, like if you're right. if you're kind of like just pushing up a hill or something like that, you can get you can get people sort of coming up to you, can I help you, can I help you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like sure. Really eager to help or you know, mm. even if you fall out of your chair or you're out of your chair or something, people are in a rush to put you back on your chair. But what I kinda of say to people is, you know, if if they're sort of really eager to do something, I'll just give them a useless job, like just hold the chair still and I'll <laughs> get myself up in the chair. Yeah, yeah, sure. Just give them a useless job. Yeah. Aww. Good pointer. Yeah, I like good. it. But Dave, you 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 said um, was was that what a role model would do, or is that what you would do, or is there a, a dis anything to distinguish between? I you? don't think there's any difference between the role model and me. No, yeah. I think, I, I think <laughs> you are. Given, given that my wife and children will probably be listening to this at some point, I'm going to try and keep the moral high ground for as long as I can. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> You're not going to lock him in a fridge or something. No, no, <laughs> no. Well, it works for some politicians. So. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, you gave us the role model answer, but you sidestepped the what you would do answer. Okay, what was it? I'd send them across the SIA to go and help out. Technically, you'd be sent to Aspire, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Hey, Aspire are here to defend themselves. Exactly. All right. Would you? What would you do, Ian, if you if you, if you were the person in charge? Um, as you, well, as the guys have already said, I think you give someone like that maybe a useless job, um, and maybe try and build their confidence slightly so they don't make so many mistakes. Mm. Mark, when you're paralegal, that paralegal who messed up yes. last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When the they mess up again this week. The reason I why Jeremy Corbyn didn't get in that I couldn't answer on a family <laughs> show. <but laughs> Dave's position. Okay, very uh, good. And anyway, as a as a barrister, I've never um, had a management role in my life. So, but would you not manage your paralegal? No. I would once I get one. Oh, all right, okay. I assumed that you had. I thought you were a high flyer. I am, but well, <laughs> <laughs> even high flying barristers are supposed to do it on their own. <laughs> all right, thanks very much, guys. So here I'm again, doing this again, as Chris is at home learning the new Chelsea Terrace chants. So good luck with that, Chris. I hope it's going well. Uh, we have a question from Lisa in South London. She got in touch with us by email to tell us that she listens to the show to help her learn more about SCIs. She's recently started dating a guy with a T8 injury who is a full-time wheelchair user. She says she's really into him and hopes it will develop into something serious, but worries that she doesn't understand enough about his injury and won't know the best way to help and support him. Her question is, how can I make sure that I don't mess this up? I'm afraid I'll be condescending if I try to help him too much, but that I'll be even negligent or uncaring if I don't help enough. Can you guys give some advice, please? Um, I think, for what it's worth, that she just needs to read him that email because I think that absolutely nailed it. I, I completely understand you know, not wanting to stuff up a relationship and it's brilliant that she's thinking about, you know, how to best help and support and everything else. But actually, the conversation she should be having is with him, and and asking him and just being open and honest because he's got nothing to hide. And so I think just an open and honest conversation with him, explaining that, you know, she wants to be able to 
um, support him the best way possible and how to do that and take it from there. Yeah. Yeah, that would do it. Totally agree with that. And I think, you know, having that open conversation will open things up the other way because I'm sure he'll have lots of concerns about his relationship with her as well. So having that two-way conversation, it's got to be the way forward. Yeah. Ruth? I mean, you're asking me for a relationship advice. <laughs> <laughs> never a good idea. But yeah, no, I agree. She's. I think it's brilliant that she actually went to the effort of emailing us. I think that was cool that she actually cares enough. Yeah. So he's already a lucky guy, isn't he? If he's got somebody that cares Absolutely, that much. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, I say, yeah, just just tell him or better still get him to listen to this spider crap. <laughs> and say, that's me, I'm Lisa. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, she's... Yeah, just say it. I mean, he's going to be delighted that she says it. You'd hope so. So, Lisa, I hope that helps you. And carry on listening. You didn't say what you would... Well, I agree. I advice. agree with you all. I we just, all I just think just, just, just talk, just talk Mark, to each other. Mark looks like he doesn't agree. <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> I do agree, but I'm in an even worse place than Ruth to give relationship <laughs> advice. <laughs> but I do, agree, I do agree in general that um, while it is very easy to overhelp or indeed in my case underhelp um if someone is just open and says i don't i don't know what you what would help you but um do let me know if there's anything you think then i think that's usually usually the best way of approaching it yeah good well may they last long and prosper exactly (laughs) (laughs) that's some star trek i don't know i don't know good luck to them hope it works out guys okay so um, I know that when you come on This Is Spinal Crap, I know you only do it for one reason. You only do it for the Spinal Crap mugs. So um, thank you very much, Dave and Andy. Thank you for coming in. You'll be taking home or possibly back to the office your very own This Is Spinal Crap mugs. And um, they're very sought after and very precious. So don't let anybody else in the office steal them. That's why it's not going to the office. <laughs> <laughs> I have enough trouble keeping hold of it at home. I'm certainly not going to take it to the office. So we get you to take a photo of yourselves having your uh, morning brew from your um, spinal crap mugs and uh, we can share those on social media. Um, And before we say goodbye, um, can you just each remind the listeners again of the web addresses of each of your charities? So backuptrust.org.uk and spinal.co.uk brilliant okay and aspire do we know aspire uh not off the top of my head no aspire.org.uk am i gonna i'm really sorry i should have looked that up but you know um google aspire sci charity you'll find you'll find it thank you very much david and andy for coming into the studio today ian and mark always a pleasure until next time this is spinal crap bye Thanks for listening to This Is Spinal Crap and thank you to our sponsors Coloplast. If you like this week's show, please be sure to subscribe and follow us on social media.